0: How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to The Scale-Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Darone Friedman. Darone is the Chief Product Officer and Co-Founder at SpotOn, where basically he's he's had multiple startups through growth stages he was a founder and ceo of aeroi solutions for approximately 10 years and is currently like i said the cpo and co-founder at spot on he's doing some amazing things Darone, welcome man happy to have you on the show
1: thanks ryan it's great to be here I really appreciate it
0: yeah yeah and it was it was pretty cool to realize that you're you're from my neck of the woods man there's not very many chicago folks live in large here. So uh, even though you're not local with me right now, we should have done it in person. But um, anyways, before we get too deep into it, I'd love to hear uh, a little bit of a revenue rundown just in terms of so people can understand where you're at in terms of your journey. So where are you at in terms of your valuation or your ARR stage?
1: Yeah. So we don't usually talk about ARR, but uh, if you think about our business, we've grown from, you know, in the past four years, basically nothing. Our last valuation was over $3 billion. Wow. Um, We have tens of thousands of businesses throughout the United States, and we have over 2,000 employees right now. So it's been a pretty crazy growth rate. Um, It's humbling. You got to pinch yourself. It's a lot of work, a lot of stress. It it didn't come easy, but uh, we feel very
0: fortunate. So, wait. So, walk me through that. So, You said over the last four years, pretty much nothing to three billion dollar valuation. We're going to get into how that happened, right? We're going to get into that. So you talked about your team. You're at two thousand. What about your go to market strategy? What's your your primary go to market strategy?
1: So we, you know, my two partners, Ben Zach Hyman, are, in my opinion, one of the best people in the world to actually run a sales team, and uh, they have a team that runs it for them now. Obviously, you know, it's it's a great organization, but we have. I think over five, six hundred sales reps, you know, uh, AEs, account executives that actually go and sell to these businesses. We really believe in, you know, in building relationships in local communities. And as a result, we've been able to grow and help these businesses. They're part of our, you know, our ears, basically listening to these businesses telling us their pain points. And so we can create technology and products that that really help them solve these pain points.
0: That's amazing. So, I mean, 500, 600 sales reps, a lot. Can you walk through your solution a little bit? Yeah. So if you think about the
1: business, we separate it into three areas. We have what we consider the best restaurant point of sale system out there. We have the best platform for restaurants. And then we have on the uh, retail side, we, we just launched and built a omni-channel solution, which is a retail POS with e-commerce, all built into one, very simple to use, but you very, very powerful. And uh, then we, ha- we just bought a company called Appetize in the fall. And that company is the um, leader in sports and entertainment. So they basically own over 60% of major league sports. They have their solutions, their point of sale, whether also the ability to scan a QR code in the back of a seat and pick up your food or get it delivered, Uh, be able to work with hawkers and things of that nature. And in the middle of all this, though, we built what we call our shared services, which is Really, you know, loyalty, the ability to market to your customer. You know, we we'll allow brick and mortar stores to know it when a customer stops coming into their business. That's something people don't re- really have access to. We give this data analytics so you can see how your business is doing real-time. Uh, review management so when you you can see when someone wrote a review and you can link out to the review and reply to it. So it, it's a pretty powerful platform. It's a kind of a, it's a win-win situation. Everything we do and everything we create is really to help businesses increase their revenues, save costs, increase get uh, get to know their customers, help with them with their employees, and and really offer great services to their customers.
0: Well, obviously, you're doing something right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so all, you know, we're not always right, right? We we make
1: mistakes all the time. Right? We have
0: a saying: fail fast and pivot. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's good. Are you, are you bootstrapped or venture funded? We're venture
1: funded. Uh, well, actually, initially we were bootstrapped uh, for the first, you know, uh, year or two, and um, then we brought in some amazing investors like uh, Dragoneer, uh DST, Eight Sixteen Z, which is Andreessen Horowitz. So we're pretty blessed with having some of the best investors in the world, and uh, you know, that's that's a testament to all my colleagues. So it's pretty pretty wonderful to have these investors.
0: Yeah, I, w- I would say that's wild. I mean, you, you have it sounds like you have some amazing networks to pull from. You've done an awesome job growing to a massive sales org and your know, crazy valuation. So let, let's talk about like, how did you get here personally? Cause we were talking a little bit about that before we jumped on. And uh, so I'd love to just hear your story and how you got to this point. Cause it's crazy to think, yeah, from nothing to 3 billion in four years. Right. But what, what, ha- what was everything that happened prior to that?
1: Well, I mean, it's a long journey and it's not easy. There's a lot of stress and a lot of commitment and it's a never die, you know, never quit mentality. And that's, I think that comes from my father, uh, my, my parents, I love personal story. They're Holocaust survivors. And when, uh, after the Holocaust, they moved to Israel, I was born there. Uh, I left at the age of four, came to the States, always wanted to be an investment banker. My dream was going to the Wharton school, become an I- I banker in New York, sent wall street. And I got in, I, I finally, I, I got to the Wharton school. I did really well there got job thing. offers and, uh, Lo and behold, I decided I want to become an entrepreneur. Uh, and it comes, it dates back to a story that when I was a child, going, we used to travel to Israel for, to, to visit family and stuff. And I remember one day a guy waiting outside my, uh, our, our, our apartment out there. And he said he had been waiting there for two, three years. I mean, two, three days, not years, some sort. <laughs> and uh, basically, you know, he, he wanted to invite my dad and me to his son's bar mitzvah. And there I learned about my father. I learned that he, you know, my dad had, he worked three jobs just to earn a living and to pay to put food on the table. And basically he started a diamond factory and that diamond factory, he ended up after the war, he was uh, sick and he had to leave and he came to the United States to go to the Mayo Clinic, but he left the factory for his employees. He didn't sell it. He just gave it to them. Wow. And uh, so, but the problem was, is after he left, you know, they weren't operators and so they went bankrupt. And so they came in and it was like this whole thing to get him to come back. And so they can come work for him again. That shaped my life. If I could just be half that, I thought I'd be the biggest success in the world. If people would wait for me, you know, people work for me, would wait and want to work for me again in the future, I I would consider that success. So when I I, I graduated the Wharton School, uh, I told my dad I I, I didn't want to be an entrepreneur just like him. He was against anyone being an entrepreneur in our family. He was totally against it. he said, it's too stressful. It, it will kill you. It's not, you just get a real job. And he was against it. And he said, I'm not going to help you at all. And so I borrowed $10,000 from each one of my siblings and started, I, you know, my whole idea was to open bagel places on college campuses on the West Coast. You had them, I saw them all the way in the East Coast where I went to school, never saw them on the West Coast. And I had a girlfriend out there and I said, wow, they're all oh mine. So I went ahead, did research and opened up my first bagel place when I was uh, 21 years old. And, uh, It was tough in the beginning i had a partner who was just she was supposed to be my financial backer and right when i said no to the job offers her father changed the deal on me and long story short uh i had to go come up with money all of a sudden and she worked there eventually uh, i bought her out Uh, and then that's really when the business started to take off i really got to i learned a lot i learned how to delegate for the first time in my life i was doing everything and failing miserably. And then I realized, okay, you need to take a step back and trust people. And that was my first lesson in business. So I grew that business, opened a few others. And then right before the dot-com crash, I went ahead and uh, started a company called Arrow. And that company, the way that company came is really, if you think about it, it's the same story, right? It's uh, I, I looked at you know, I got a box of chocolates from Godiva and it was from an old manager of mine who used to send me those beautiful greeting cards and it didn't have a card. I can barely find it, it was on an invoice uh, and it says from Nicole. And I said, Godiva can't get this right. There must be a problem. And so I went ahead and I did research and there's nobody uh, doing it. And I was a little not confident because I was not a technology guy at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, my brother-in-law said, hey, I'll back you. Uh, just go for it. Find, you know, I, I found my a partner from the Warden School who ran a technology company in India. Uh, another guy who was uh, in the printing business that was a technology guy. And we formed a company and right before the dot com crash, which was like the worst timing. <laughs> and uh we managed to, that company still exists, it does well. It's it's the it's the first company in the world to manufacture and produce credit cards with no inventory. Our American Express Discover, Mascard Visa. It was we had about 12, 13 uh, patents. Uh, and people would come to us and say, you know, these these multi-billion dollar companies with tour facilities and they say how would you come up with doing credit cards on demand and the head of operations would say it's a bagel guy that came up with it because he, he had no idea what he had no history so he said if i was going to do this from scratch how would you do it and so we just started out with a clean slate everybody used what they knew to build solutions and uh that company i think this year broke a record of five hundred thousand credit cards in a day wow and uh but The truth is, though, I basically lost everything in that company during the banking crisis. Really? What Yeah, We were going to go buy a company and uh, it was a $100 million deal. We were doing well. And the company that we're going to buy misrepresented their numbers. Mm -hmm. And then the banking crisis started to evolve. And uh, the investors backed out. I said, look, we can get them for cheaper. And they said, no. And then what I found out, this is my first lesson with VCs, is that (laughs) there's a law in Illinois that says basically if you don't have enough money for a year and a half in your on your balance sheet or a year, I don't know what the exact number was. And the way they calculated it was really weird. We had more than a year's worth of money. and But the way they calculated that number was false. And so we had to raise $14 million in 30 days in the middle of the banking crisis. And uh, I did it. I ended up buying a company and that having that company fund us and we pulled it off but I lost a lot to do that wow. and valuations and everything. I was protected as long as I stayed but eventually I decided to start over you know at age you know 40 I, I started over with spot-on and so it was uh, it was a great experience and I learned a lot I almost had to move in with my parents at the age of 40. so imagine I can't believe my wife is still married to me <laughs> and we you know we started spot-on and you know ROi is still doing well and uh, spot-on is doing much better.
0: So when did you, I mean, that's an amazing story. So I love the idea of like, cause I've done, I, you know, like credit to you for taking action on the bagel shop idea. Cause there's times I remember I'm like, this is just missing. Why don't people do this? And I never did anything with it. Right. When I was younger. So to be able to do that at, at 21 and just start your journey that way, I think that's awesome. Right. So, and then love the fact you just saw something missing, right. That with, with the Godiva box of chocolates that you had. And then you came up with the on-demand credit card piece. So pretty cool there. Hey, you pulled the rabbit out of your hat, getting 14 mil in what, 30 days. Um, <laughs> it
1: was days. I had to
0: do it in 45 days. I think we did it in 30. Okay. So you had four, so you had 15 days to spare, right? So you even, you even outperformed there, right? You outperformed <laughs> what you needed to do. So, so then talk about spot on, like how do you, cause you're saying now you get the $3 billion valuation. You've, Spot On is four years old. Is that correct?
1: It's actually four and a half years old. I believe or five years, closer to five. Time's flying. Starting okay.
0: in 2017. So, talk talk about day one at Spot On. What was that like? What happened to to current? And like, how did you grow the team? Not just not just the team, not just the revenue, but the team, but the customer experience. Because it sounds like you you have a a big heart towards helping people. So I would just love to hear how this all came together. So, I
1: mean, if you think about it, my, my two partners have an incredible ability. They're, they're great business people and they have a great ability to sell and manage people. They're very charismatic, they're very smart and they can relate to, to people. So I learned a lot from them. Um, I think from my perspective, I, it was unique is that here I had this technology experience, yet I still own my first shop. I sold the others. And um, you, 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 I felt the empathy. I knew what these businesses needed to help them succeed. I knew what the challenges were. I knew that businesses were in the, in the weeds all the time. And so to come up with a solution and, and a, a platform to help them grow, that wasn't so difficult because the pain points are so obvious. The key thing was, is how do you develop a team? How do you hire a team? How do you find the right people? And how do you get people that have the same kind of level of client empathy? And customer empathy, and that was not easy. But we have a saying is when in every interview, I say the, the same phrase I say, We hire smart, self starting, kind people. And if you're not kind, you can't work here. In business, a lot of people, kindness is not important, it's ruthless. But if we're going to have empathy for our clients, we have to have empathy for each other, mm-hmm. and that's where it starts. And we care about each other, we're a family. Uh, we hired a team in Krakow, Poland, to be developers you know, a group because. We couldn't hire fast enough of the United States. We were a big team in the United States. But uh, we went out there and I can tell you, they're not an outsourced team. They're part of our family. And that's how we we, we roll here. I mean, we, we really believe in making people part of that family. And then they bring their friends and they say, hey, this is a great place to work. We were voted one of the best places to work by Built in Chicago, right? Congrats. And uh, it, it really helps you find people and you find talent brings talent and it's contagious.
0: Well, yeah. I, so you're the first person that I think I've had on the show that list being kind is part of the requirement. So I think that's awesome. And but let's get deeper on what you what you just went through because you, you kind of you glazed over some stuff, right? You know. Um. So how like when you started like and did you did you start with with um, Matt and Zach like right on day one like like how did you guys get the idea and then how did you put it in motion?
1: So Matt and Zach were selling credit card processing to mom and pops throughout the country and they, everybody wanted them to resell their like loyalty solution, their marketing solution, all that stuff. Oops. Sorry about hey, that. It's all good. And uh, so basically what they said to me, they said, look, we want to create our own products that we can sell, that we can believe in. And we can put our, you know, cause everything we, when we sell other people's products, we always have to get refunds. It doesn't work. doesn't communicate with other products. Can we build something that really helps businesses? And they never ran technology companies before. And so they, Matt was an investor in ROI. And so we knew each other for many years and he said, Hey, let's do this together. And that's how it really came together. And, you know, I feel fortunate because I'm the, they've only partnered with each other their whole lives. I was the only outside partner they ever brought in. And, you know, we, we, just like we do with our staff, we complement each other's strengths and them not knowing technology as much. And believe me, they've learned so much over the years, but, uh, you know, it's the same thing with my team. When I hired my team, I hired people who are not like me. Mm-hmm. I hired people who had different skill sets than I have. And that's something I learned early, early on. You got to find people who complement your weaknesses. And so the team I hired, by the way, it's probably the, the, the biggest percentage of women leaders in a tech company. I think the majority of my my leads and product are actually women. But they were all more process-oriented than I was. I'm an entrepreneur. You know, we keep on thinking about ideas nonstop. And they're like, hold on. To execute, you need process. And my ba- my my saying to them is, I don't want process to become the product, right? Right. You want you want you want process to help develop the product and execute on the product. And so that balance is really what makes us effective as a team. And I love it. I love working with these people. I feel like the luckiest person in the world. Okay.
0: So how do you? So you guys started the company. You, you went through like how long did it take you to create the product? Uh, and then how long? And and I know you're doing some really cool things with like crypto and blockchain as well. So feel free to talk about that. But like how did you create the product? And then, you know, how long did it take? And then what's the sales motion like exactly like?
1: So some of the products we created, like the marketing and loyalty, uh, right off the bat, we had that earlier before we even started the company. And the we ended up making some acquisitions too. So we acquired an e-commerce company that we end up uh, not e-commerce, a website company, building company that's really easy to use, and it was like a one or two man show. We used that. We built a, upon that as well. Uh, the restaurant point of sale, we did kind of the same thing, but we turned it into completely our own product and built a lot of solutions based on the pandemic. You know, they really made us move technology faster and uh, pivot a little bit to basically online ordering for food. Like uh, we have QR codes. So you pay with a QR code, you can order with a QR code with uh, pacing because, you know, the kitchens opened up I, the, when the restaurants opened up, you got all these online orders that were coming in at like, say, lunch rush mm-hmm. and now at a full restaurant before you have full restaurants, so you can handle it. So we had to start pacing orders and build pacing technology. So it's about listening to your customers. And then on the retail side, we it took us a good two years, a year and a half to build our uh, point of sale system from scratch. The okay. channel pollution and we did that we could have purchased something for that as well but we felt in order to make something really powerful we should build it from the ground up and because you want to make it easy you want to make it easy to uh, upload your catalog and say okay here's my list of 100 items 200 items 5,000 items and I want to sell these items online and these are my price points I want to sell these items in the farmers market I want to sell these items in my store and you want to be able to know that if you sold something out of online and you fulfill it out of your store, which a lot of these businesses do, you got to take it off the racks. Mm-hmm. So you got to notify them. So if you build this all together, it's really cohesive, powerful, and easy to use. And that's what we did there.
0: So it sounds like you had a lot of cash then from the get-go as a starting point, correct? Because if you're buying companies early stage and you got to have some ca- quite a bit of capital, I'd imagine, right?
1: I mean, there were really small purchases early on. There weren't very, very big purchases. Our, my, my partners did invest a lot of money in the business. Uh, and. They were successful. They sold uh, their last company for hundreds of millions of dollars. It's been public uh, to Tesis, which is now global. So, you know, lucky and fortunate for us, they were able to fund the business.
0: So, and I I know you're on the product side. So so how many people do you have on your team then? So we
1: started, when we started, we had 12. Uh, Before the acquisition of Appetize in the fall, we were at 300 and now we're over 500. That's product and technology. That's all of R&D. Wow. So do you run that whole group? Not anymore. I used to. Uh, we've got a great CTO named Mark Walls, who actually runs the technology team. And we work very closely together. And we have this one team mentality. So we have to work well together.
0: Oh, yeah, I can imagine. And then how do you like how did you ramp up revenue? Like with sales, is it <clears throat> because you're dealing with local and mid-sized restaurants, right? And <clears throat> retail. So. What's what's the strategy of attack to, to acquire new customers? It's
1: adding value. If you can add value and save people money at
0: the same time,
1: it's the biggest win in the world. And that's really what we're trying to do. So if, if you think about it, there's a few revenue streams. There's the SaaS revenues that right. we do with our products, whether it's a point of sale, uh, online ordering, whatever it is, right? And then uh, we have payments revenue as well. So if we can save you money on the payments to begin with, it almost covers your SaaS, right? So... You're getting it. Everything you're getting this great platform for a great price with great value. And if you think about our company and the pandemic, we sold to retailers, right? So you figured when when that pandemic hit, thank goodness we raised capital right before that. And um, one of our main competitors basically raised like I think about three hundred million dollars. And the pandemic was in March, and then in April, our sales just plummeted like by fifty percent. And this company raised so much more money than we did and they fired half their staff that month. And we said, you know what? We're not going to do that. These businesses need us and we need to help. You know, if you look at entrepreneurs, they put their life savings on the line. They, uh, no one respects what they do, the risks they take. And they employ, they're the biggest employers of employees in the United States. And so we said to our team, we said, look, we don't expect you to work as crazy hours as we work. But we if you're going to work really, really hard once in your life or, you know, they all work hard all the time. But if, they, if you're going to take it to the next level, this is the time to do it. And the reason is, is these businesses need you and we're there for them. And it gives me goosebumps So that. They all rallied the team and we launched products like Spot on Order, which is our online order solution too early, but we had to because they needed sales. We actually had businesses that shut down and had almost the same amount of sales on online order. And even though it was a little buggy, wow. you know, And but we did it. And And it just, I, I told, and and that made it so much easier to hire people. I tell people it's the best job in the world. We get to help small businesses compete with big businesses. We help people, you know, invest in their life savings, make money, make their retirements, hire all these employees. And we get to work with the most incredible people in the world. How could it not be the best job in the world? It's stressful as hell, but it's the best job in the world.
0: Yeah. I, I think like. So basically what what I'm hearing you say is like, there is basically the dip that happened. Right. And I I like, I remember seeing on my bank account. So (laughs) like, you know, I think it was like, you look at your investments, the market dropped like 40% in like a week and a half or something like that. And like, uh, truth be told at that time, my employer, um, I was, I was in the process of creating a brand and, and wanted to start my own business. And, um, this was March 30th. The CEO called me in and had a meeting and it was him and the head of HR. And they're like, hey, you got to stop doing what you're doing on this, you know, your your stuff on the side. I'm like, well, we talked about this. You said this was OK. Like, well, if you want to you, you can't work here anymore if you if you want to do that. Right. That was March 30th and March 31st. Same meeting. I brought in a someone on my team brought in a, a deal worth a lot. I'm not even going to say how much a lot profit wise. And then same meeting it's like hey we had a board meeting last night like you're fired right and it happened like March 31st so like which sucked at the time but at the same time like my wife was more upset about it than I am (laughs) I was pretty happy because I wanted my way out you know Um, and I grew up in a blue collar, like my dad had three jobs, you know, my mom was a teacher, you know, same, same type of environment. It sounds like my my dad didn't create a diamond factory, but that would have been cool too. So, um, but anyways, that was really eye opening for me. And there's a lot of people in just massive pain because of all the uncertainty, especially in the small business. I mean, I remember us like just trying to go to restaurants and buy stuff at the restaurants we wanted just because we knew they were. They were struggling so bad. So it it's sounded insane. like you doubled down at that dip point. And then after that happened, that's when everything took off, right?
1: Yeah, we actually even give millions away in free services. We didn't charge our customers. A I lot see. of customers, like we, we just give millions. And that also resonated with the customers, you know? So it feels good. I mean, we make our mistakes, by the way. We're not perfect. We've made tons of mistakes. But as I always say, fail fast and pivot. So that's really what we do here. And, You know, we'll we'll test things out. We'll get an MVP, a minimal viable product out and understand that we might fail, but we'll fix it real quick.
0: Well, and how rapid do you create
1: products then? It depends. Some products take forever, it feels like, and some can happen in two weeks. You never know. I mean, we had to make a big decision after we launched our online ordering. It's rarely do you make the decision to rebuild it from scratch, but we did and it took a long time, but the results were unbelievable. We increased conversion by over 30%, which helps our businesses. But, you know, usually you just try to do things incrementally. And if you can just add value incrementally, it can come out very quickly. We release product once a week, once a day. Sometimes it depends on what product, what line of business. And sometimes it's once every two weeks.
0: That's fast. Uh, obviously, you have a big team and there's a lot of coordination involved with that. But that's that's great that you're, you're operating at that speed. So why crypto? Why blockchain? Like, what, what do you see as the opportunity in the future of tech there? So I, I think when you think about Crypto, you think about
1: alternative payments, right? If you think about it, are my kids, they they use Venmo, PayPal. There's some people don't have checking accounts. Um, and so there's a lot of money out there that is in crypto. 25% of college kids own crypto. Wow. And uh, if you think about kids who are using Venmo all the time to move money around back and forth. My daughter was, I stopped it actually because she was sending money. Nobody was sending money in. They were spending money out, but nobody was kind of <laughs> getting, giving her the money. So but, you know, it's just the way people are used to uh, spending money. They said that I think there was a there was a study that said something like I think it was like 40 percent. Yeah, 40 percent of 18 to 35 year olds are going to pay for goods and services with crypto in 2022. That's a phenomenal number.
0: 40 percent are paying in 2022. Is that what you
1: said? Yeah, yeah, they're going to use crypto to pay for goods and services. So if you think about it, uh, only that age group. And that was from checkout.com. I think it's basically came up with that study. So what you're doing is you have this audience of very wealthy people, especially in the sports arenas and things of that nature. You want to make it very easy for them to spend money. And this is kind of voodoo money in a way for some people, right? So it's not, you know, they made so much money off of it and to spend it, it's like, it's just another opportunity. Some people like Tesla, they use it as a hedge against inflation, right? But the average person doesn't have that ability. And so I, you know, I think it was the uh, founder of IKEA who said, Uh, sell to the masses, eat with the classes, sell to the classes, eat with the masses. And so we want to sell to the masses. We want to make, you know, we want to make alternative payments available to the tens of millions of consumers that use our products, uh, you know, every day. And if we can do that, I think we're going to add a lot of value, not only for our merchants, but we're also going to add value to the consumers. And it's a really special place. Now, it might not work, uh, but we believe it will. And we believe it's worth the risk.
0: Yeah. I, mean, I just saw the movie uh, or the show Gaming Wall Street. Have you seen that at all? No, I have not. Series. No. It's so wild. It talks about, it was just so funny because I I was on spring break with the fam and I was trying to find something. I'm like, oh, this is kind of interesting. It talks about like how the whole GameStop short sells short squeeze process and it started getting into the hedge funds and how how they're moving money around and anyways so it was interesting because like the first thing that I thought of is like reasons why this like like this are the reasons why people are gonna gravitate towards crypto because like it's it's transparent and right now it's not really controlled by the banks in, in my opinion, right would you agree with that? It's
1: yeah it's not controlled by the banks at all um and it is transparent. The key thing is, is how do you make it quick, easy, and cheap? Uh, right now, it's expensive to transact with crypto. Our goal is to make it cheap, as cheap or cheaper than
0: than credit cards. That's fantastic. So the idea is like integrate that into the POS system so that people could buy. They could, you know, companies could take that on, and then I assume convert it. <laughs> My phone's talking to me now. Just said hi. <laughs> um, can also like convert that into, are you doing it as well so they would convert it into cash or just keep it in crypto or what's kind of the thought process? We're product? not
1: disclosing exactly what we're doing yet because we haven't launched it yet. So, okay. But, you know, we're, we're going to make it as easy as possible for merchants to, to transact it. If they if they want just everything in cash, they're going to get everything in cash. It's just really the consumers are going to be allowed to do whatever they, you know, they can earn it. They, they can use crypto at any one of our locations
0: all right well i'll, I'll quit i'll quit and i don't want to say get digging deep on that we'll just have to wait and see what comes out of that you will, yeah but i'm excited hopefully it's so, a surprise hopefully it's something great well you're gonna i'm gonna be the first to know so it'll be all good <laughs> anyways right so, <laughs> i'm joking um so we're we're just about up on time so let me do a quick founders fire as we wrap this up so what's what's your favorite book you read over the past couple of years
1: well i if you're talking to entrepreneurs, I think they should read the book "Amp It Up." Um, I forgot the name of the author, but it's a guy from ServiceNow, and he's built two, I think, 100 billion dollar companies. And he's got a really strong philosophy. And one of the things that he talks about is the ability to uh, one fail fast, right? The other thing is is to you know hire uh, d- you know drivers and not passengers. So there's two kinds of people you can hire: people who just sit there along for the ride and be told what to do, and there's the doers who think about great things and go ahead and implement and execute on. And I think that book is, I think it's important for anybody who's got a dream of building a big business. And it doesn't mean that I don't agree with everything that's in that book. And I don't think that book is for everybody. I think that's what he states at the end as well. But at least it gives you a framework of what to look for when really trying to scale a giant business, taking a small business and scaling to something giant.
0: That's awesome. I've never heard nobody's ever recommended that that book before. So that's a great ad. I'm gonna have to pop that and uh, order that one. So okay. So what's your, your favorite podcast or show that you listen to or enjoy? Uh,
1: you won't. I don't have enough time to listen to podcasts. Will you believe me if I say that? I really don't. I work without exaggeration. I'm a very big family guy and I work 12 to 14 hours, 16 hours sometimes a day. And the rest of the time, I just want to be with family. So all I do is I, I try to I take Friday night through Saturday night off and I spend that time with my family. It's it's pretty wild.
0: No, that's fair, man. Some people don't don't do that. I, I listen to it passively if I'm driving somewhere instead of like the radio or music.
1: I, uh, I try to get myself off of, you know, technology it, when I'm when I'm because I'm so wrapped in technology nonstop that yeah. I, I just try to get myself unplugged.
0: Yeah, that totally that totally makes sense. Uh, okay, so what advice would you give to yourself, you know, now that you know what you know, you're 40 plus years of age, to someone who's earlier in their journey, just starting their business, just looking to scale?
1: I think a couple of things. One, number one, you have to be customer driven. You have to have customer empathy and customer driven. If you don't listen to your but when I first started my bagel place and I was baking in front of the oven, passed out because uh, of working so many hours, I wasn't, I was in the weeds. And I wasn't paying attention to the big picture. And there's nobody who tells you more about the big pictures than your customers, right? They always, they tell you about ideas. They tell you what they like, they don't like. And you can learn so much from them. Right now, all of our product people, no matter how senior they are, they have to talk to customers. And my partners and I, we answer, we have tens of thousands of businesses and we still answer operational emails and we're still listening and, and actually getting on the front lines and restaurants will actually call us on the cell phone. And we'll get on a call with them and try to solve problems with them. So that has not changed. And that's probably why we work so much, right? Is because that 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 need to be in front of customers. The other thing is, is that I would tell people to hire people who complement your weaknesses. Don't hire people who think like you do. Because if you do, you, you'll never grow. You're just going to, you don't want people, yes, people. You don't want people who think like you. You want people who will challenge your assumptions and will bring value that you can't bring to the table. Don't be scared about hiring people smarter than you. Hire people smarter than you are. It's great. You're going to learn something from them. Um, I think lastly is delegate. Don't micromanage. I used to, I remember I, I sat in front of, uh, when I first launched our tech company and ROI, the first one I did, we were on Dr. Ellen. We were with Dr. Phil. We were on Ellen show. We were in Good Morning America. Dunkin' Donuts, Macy's, are like giving out cards with people's pictures on it. And it was holiday season and we were like, please stop. Uh, we cannot handle the load. And um, and I remember that it's like that commercial where, you know, everybody's getting so excited to the dot com. It's going up and, up and up and then all of a sudden it crashes, the site crashes. We actually went through that. I was hiring FedEx airplanes. I spent two and a half million dollars in a week trying to get packages out in time during the holiday. Two million dollars in private jets I spent in a week. And um, because we were customer focused, right, we wanted to deliver at all costs, even for bankrupted us. <laughs> Uh, it didn't break with us, but still, um, so from, from that perspective, um, I used to, when, when there was an issue, I used to hover around the technology, the programmers are fixing the problem. And it's like the worst thing you can possibly do. You need to take a step back, let them deal with it. You're stressing them out. And now when there's a problem, I never go to the engineers. I, I you know, I don't hover over the engineers. I don't keep on slacking them every two seconds. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? I don't do that. I just let them fix their problems. Then we do a root cause analysis. I get updates here and there. We have a little page where they do the updates and then that way they can just go on and fix the problems. So you got to delegate and you can't do everything yourself. And that's really, really important.
0: Well, that's an that's amazing segment to end on. I think that those three three knowledge bombs you just dropped are absolute gold. So we'll, we'll, we'll end on a high note there, but it was awesome having you on the show. It was great hearing your perspective and I absolutely loved just your perspective on things, so it was a pleasure. Thanks for being on.
1: Ryan, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And and you know, congratulations to all these entrepreneurs who are listening to your show.
0: Thank you for checking out the scale up show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering